0: 2nd Kings chapter 6, that's where we'll find the story we want to look at together for a few minutes this evening. And what we find there is that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was at war against Israel. He would send down his army there to raid different towns along the Israeli border. He was probing for weaknesses, trying to find the holes in their defenses. But it seemed that no matter How carefully he planned, wherever his army went, the king of Israel was a step ahead of it. He always eluded him somehow. It was almost as if he knew exactly what his plans were. You see, Israel had what we might call an early warning system in the form of God's man, Elisha. Elisha was a dedicated and faithful prophet of God and God had performed a number of Wonderful works through him. We saw a great example of that last week in his healing of the Syrian general Naaman from his leprosy Well, God revealed to Elisha everything that Ben-Hadad was planning to do and Elisha would then go and tell Jehoram the king of Israel and he'd say send your troops over here or you need to avoid this place over there because they're laying an ambush for you. And this happened so frequently that it started to drive Ben-Hadad crazy. Uh, 2 Kings 6 verse 11 says that the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled. And so he called a special meeting of all of his military council. And he says there, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? There must be a traitor in our midst. That's the only explanation for this. Well, of course, no one admitted to that because it wasn't true. But one of his officers was bold enough that he mustered up the courage. He said in verse 12, none, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom." Ben-Hadad is enraged. What they're telling him is that he's Ben-Had, not to make too much of a pun there. And so Ben-Hadad essentially puts Elijah or Elisha on a hit list. He says there in verse number 13, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. Find him. I don't care how you find him, but find him and get him. Well, a resourceful Syrian spy brings a report that he's in Dothan, which is a town about nine and a half miles north of Samaria, the capital of Israel. And this is the beginning of what's probably my favorite story about the prophet Elisha. And I want us to briefly notice a few things about it this evening and to draw some conclusions from it. First of all, notice the overwhelming army. In verse 14, it says that he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Things looked really bad for the prophet Elisha. And maybe we can identify with that somewhat. At times, things look bad for the church, too. We live in the midst of an increasingly secular culture. You probably feel that sometimes, but it's not just a subjective feeling. Any number of studies and a a great deal of research on a lot of levels bears that out. Daniel prayed a few minutes ago that we're to be a, a light in the midst of a sinful world, but it could be that sometimes we feel like that world is actually putting out that light it feels overwhelming our ethics and our values we probably feel sometimes that those are under attack sometimes that opposition actually becomes hostile it's certainly increasingly militant and so maybe not literally but figuratively sometimes it might feel like a great army is surrounding I think the Apostle Paul felt something like that. Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning in verse eight, he says there, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. When we feel that way, when we feel as if we're surrounded, we can take one of two approaches. The first one is the fearful approach and that's exemplified here by Elisha's servant. This was read in our text a few moments ago. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, how could that possibly be true? A great army, it says. This overwhelming Syrian army, horses, chariots, surrounding the city. So for the sake of this trembling servant, Elisha prays, verse 17. O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha The Knox translation the Knox version of the Bible puts it here that clear sight came to him and That's really the idea he saw clearly here for the first time The hinds head in Bray, Berkshire, England, is a pub that's been continuously in operation since the 15th century. It was originally a, a stagecoach stop in Tudor, England. And over the fireplace mantle are inscribed these words, Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. No one was there. You see, faith dispels fear. This young man had a whole army of angels and chariots of fire all around him waiting to help him. And he didn't know anything about it. He was completely unaware. Yet scripture tells us that God is watching over us just as much as he was the prophet Elisha and his servant. The Hebrews writer refers to those ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Hebrews 1 verse 14. The psalmist declares that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. It's the 34th Psalm verse number seven. Now, I can't explain to you how that works. I think a lot of our problem actually a lot of the the division in the religious world is when we start to get into speculation and we start to ask why instead of just taking scripture for what it says I Can't tell you how that works and I can't tell you why at sometimes God does seem to to protect and encircle and watch out for his people and why at other times his will is something else but I do know this I know that God protected Paul in the midst of a storm on the Mediterranean Sea. I know that God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. I know that God delivered Daniel from the lion's den. I know that God crushed the mightiest army in the ancient world at the time beneath the weight of the Red Sea and he delivered his people so that they walked away unscathed on the other side. Now, He might not work in those sorts of spectacular ways today. I don't claim that we're going to see a a mountain full of angels and chariots of fire all around us. But God is the same God. And He's no less capable of delivering us today than He was then. And He can work in any number of ways, whether those are discernible to us at the time or not. I think of the words of the Quaker poet, John Greenleaf Whittier, his poem, The Eternal Goodness, he writes, I know not where his islands lift their fronded palms in air. I only know I cannot drift beyond his love and care. Or if you want to bring it back to Scripture, we might think of the words that we all know from the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God those who are called according to His purpose. We could pick up there in verse number 31 of that very same chapter. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God open our eyes so that we can see by faith that he's there. That he's watching over us. Faith dispels fear. But we don't have to take that fearful approach of the servant. Notice the second option open to us, the faithful approach of Elisha in contrast. Verse number 18, when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. I think that's interesting. The Lord did what Elisha asked him to do. And there's another important reminder for us there too. James tells us, chapter 4, verse 2, that you don't have because you do not ask of God. And God is able to do so much more than we can even think Or imagine, Paul writes that to the church in Ephesus. Elisha prayed to God, and he gave him what he asked for. And now here, here's where the humorous part of this story begins. You know, sometimes people will say that the Bible's a dry and dusty book. I don't know how you can possibly uh, read that. I don't get anything out of it. Nothing could be further from the truth if you go and actually read it closely. God, in response to Elisha's prayer, Closes the eyes of the Syrians not that they're literally blinded, but they don't recognize who he is remember they're on a a search and destroy mission for Elisha specifically and He goes out to them and he says hey fellas you're in the wrong place. It's not the right way. You need to go this way and Elisha takes them and they all trail along behind him really just like rats following the Pied Piper of Hamlet and He leads them right into Samaria the capital of Israel And then once they're there he prays again that God would open their eyes And their eyes are open and they see where they are for the first time and the first thing that they see Is the king of Israel? Right there before them and he's beside himself with joy. He's begging Elisha verse number 21 My father shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He's champing at the bit. Can, can I kill them? but Elisha says You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master So they prepared a great feast for them and when they had eaten and drunk he sent them away and they went to their master and the ending to this is interesting the Syrians did not come again On raids into the land of Israel I want us to draw three Thoughts three conclusions here from this story tonight of the chariots filling the mountain The first one is that God's presence with his people Is generally not recognized by the enemy God is there with his people as we've said but that's something that The enemies of God, the enemies of God's people generally don't understand. They can't wrap their minds around it. Ben-Hadad and the Syrian army, they didn't know anything about that massive source of power that was there around that one Israelite and his servant. If they had, they would have never taken him on. They would have never marched down to Dothan. And that's why you notice once they do realize it, it says they didn't come on raids to Israel anymore. The second thought is related to that one, and it's unfortunate. God's presence with his people is often not recognized by his people. We see that with the servant. And when I talk about his people today, I mean us. God's presence with his people is often not recognized by Christians. The enemy doesn't know it, but unfortunately, often the church Doesn't know it doesn't realize it doesn't appreciate it. We too often are more like that Trembling servant in this story wringing our hands. Oh my lord. What are we going to do? Instead be like Paul if God is for us who can be against us? Be like some of those others we mentioned Daniel Shadrach Meshach and Abednego be like Joshua and Caleb There's a great example everyone else was walking by sight seeing that As they were ready to go into the land of Canaan and take the promised land those other ten spies Saw that they were outnumbered and that the people were giants. We can't do it But Joshua and Caleb said God the Lord has given us this land He's the one fighting for us. The people are his bread for us. They said Be like that realize that God is there Which Brings us to the third final thought if we're going to be true men and women of God, we will recognize God's presence with His people. I think of what John writes, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, you are from God and have overcome them, for He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. May God help us to recognize that. May He open our eyes. And may he multiply those sorts of people in the church today. Now, maybe you're here this evening and you've been living in fear and in doubt instead of recognizing the fact that God is there and he's on your side. Maybe you've become weighed down by sin. You need to turn back again and rededicate your life to God. Or or maybe there's some other difficulty, some discouragement you have. You'd, You'd like us to pray with you and for you. We can do that too. If you have any need at all this evening, you have the opportunity to make it known now while we stand and while we sing.